0: Hello everyone and welcome to the 96th episode of the Atlas Society Asks. My name is Jennifer Anju Grossman. My friends call me JAG, I'm the CEO of the Atlas Society, we're the leading nonprofit organization introducing young people to the ideas of Ayn Rand in fun creative ways like our graphic novels and animated videos. Today, we are joined by Peter Diamandis, a man who needs no introduction, but before I even uh, get to that, I wanna remind all of you uh, who are watching us on Zoom, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, YouTube, uh, use the comment section, type in your questions, keep them short, and we will get to as many of them as we can. So as founder of the XPRIZE Foundation, Peter Diamandis has worked tirelessly to harness the competitive spirit to fund and solve global challenges from space exploration to carbon removal, a a prize recently funded by Elon Musk. In addition to founding several ventures in space tourism, communication, and the medical innovation space, and of course, funding many more through his bold capital partners. Diamandis is the co-founder of the Singularity University, out of which he started Abundance 360, his year-round mastermind and executive program. Peter is the New York Times bestselling author of four books, course there is abundance the future is better than you think there is bold how to go big create wealth and impact the world there is uh this is I think my personal favorite the future is faster than you think highly recommend especially uh the audible is very good and um this latest one that he co-authored with Rob Hariri and Tony Robbins, Life course: How New Breakthroughs in Precision Medicine Can Transform the Quality of Your Life and Those You Love. Uh, Peter's entrepreneurial accomplishments, his audacity, and his data-driven optimism made him the natural choice to receive the Atlas Society's Lifetime Achievement Award in the fall of 2020, where he also courageously came out. To support us at a time when uh, we, most people were not doing events. Um, he's also the subject of one of our most popular Draw My Life videos. My name is Peter Diamantis. So, Peter, welcome. Thank you.
1: A pleasure to be here. Okay. Uh, first of all, it's a pleasure to spend time with you uh, and your brilliance, and thank you for that. And second, to talk about you know the greatest power in the universe, the power of of Entrepreneurship, capitalism, and just the belief that you can change the world because we can and ultimately um, make the world a better place in the process
0: Yeah, and, and I think it's that power of mindset which is so critical and so pivotal and we're, we're going to to get to that because you can have all of the IQ points, you can have all of the connections, but uh, you know as we saw, I mean today is actually March sixteenth. It's the two-year anniversary. Mm. The two year um, of the of two years of when the lockdowns were imposed here in the United States and, uh, of course, many places around the world. And you know, talking about mindset, uh, it was a time of real fear. It was a time of of despair and uh, loneliness and isolation. Um, so. Not to minimize the uh, the devastation and the suffering, you were able to help so many. I, I, being a part of your Abundant Three Hundred and Sixty community was really a, a, a lifeline for me. And the message that you chose to put out there early and aggressively was, um, you know, this is the worst of times, but it's also the best of times. So uh, maybe you could. Tell us a little bit about how yeah yeah, looking back what are some of the good things that, that came out of the difficult experience in the past two years
1: so uh first of all to hit the point you made your mindset is the most important thing you have right it is if you look at the most successful entrepreneurs on the planet um the most successful leaders on the planet and you said what enabled them was it the capital they had was it the technology they had or was it their mindset I would say, hands down, it's their mindset. You could take away everything from them. And if they had kept their mindset, they would rebuild some significant portion of whatever was taken away. Uh, and so I think one of the things we don't do, and this is what I found so incredibly powerful about you know, uh, Atlas Shrugged and Fountainhead and multitude of books that I had a chance to, uh, to devour and enjoy, was they shaped your mindset. Um, your mindset is the most precious thing you have. And if that's the truth, the question is, where do you get your mindset? Is it who you happen to hang out with? Was it who happened to be your teacher, who happened to be uh, your your parents or your siblings? Because that's typically it. And uh, if our mindset is the most important thing we have, we should be actively asking the question, what mindset do I want? And how am I going to shape it? And I think... Uh, you know, in the Randian universe, that was one of the most important elements. Like, I, I want this mindset, and I'm going to shape it by reading these stories and embodying these characters. Now, when COVID hit two years ago, um, what was clear to me was it was beyond a, you know, a SARS-CoV-2 viral pandemic. It was a pandemic of fear. Because everybody had no idea what was going on, and the markets were crashing, and you know, I, like everyone else, was like, "Where am I going to get some uh, disinfectant, soap, or whatever the case might be?" But what was not obvious, and what I started writing about, and I think what you're referring to, is um, this is a this this event, this disaster, this unique um, societal situation is a clarion call reaching out to millions of scientists and physicians and nurses and engineers, not just millions, tens of millions out there. And while we see the immediate challenge, what we don't see is the the echoes of people refocusing their time, refocusing their energy, refocusing their capital and what then happened months later, a tsunami of solutions coming in, right? So whether it was masks or ventilators or vaccines going from an idea to, you know, we went from receiving the the, uh, RNA sequence of the SARS-CoV-2 virus in uh, in January to having a vaccine, at least by uh, Moderna, designed within 24 hours. And then within a year, it was put into production and receiving emergency use authorization, which is stunning. Um, For those who don't know how long this normally takes, it can be a five to 10 year journey. Um, And it was stunning how fast it went. So I I think uh, the human race, when it needs to, can really focus. And sometimes we need an existential threat. You know, I, I keep praying for an asteroid to be you know, coming straight at us, but with you know a few years' notice. I'd like the notice period part there, uh, and uh, and so we do really well uh, when we need to. We're not caught up in the bullshit of politics and blaming other individuals.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, also there was the fact that there was an unprecedented um, infusion of of capital, of investment in absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, the White
1: House and Congress and private investors, you know, just uh, stood up and said, this is Im- important to do. And, you know, we can think about this from many different ways. One of the uh, one of the pandemics out there right now uh, is lack of education uh, or human aging. I-, I like to think of aging as a disease that we can stop, you know, and potentially reverse um, and you know I you know this about me Jag I say the world's biggest problems are the world's biggest business opportunities right when I become a billionaire help a billion people and that's a, a beautiful uh coincidence of of drives
0: yeah and you also uh, mentioned that some of the biggest um, opportunities are the the rising billion you know you talk about all of the uh the unbanked the the people that are in Africa that are in uh, you know China and India, that uh, that are not yet really in the commercial consuming economy, and um, that it's in your rational self interest to uh, to find a way to meet their needs, and it will make you a very wealthy person. Yeah,
1: I I think so in such a important way. It used to be that where you were born, uh, color of your skin, your gender determined everything. You know, if you were born in the wrong village, there was no library, uh, there were no books, there was no school, there was an oppressive uh, uh, government, you were screwed, didn't matter how brilliant you are. Um, And today we're living in a world where, you know, when I talk about abundance, one of the books that you held up, one of the key phrases I wrote that I love is, yes, thank you, Vanna. One of the key phrases I I like to say is abundance is not about creating a world of luxury. It's about creating a world of possibility, right? Um, It's where every man, woman, and child has the ability to gain access to all the world's information, which we do for free, you know, massive computational power, access to AI on the cloud, access to all the entertainment and even educational content you could want. It's amazing. We're living during the most amazing time ever in human history.
0: So um, going back to my role here, but one of the things that struck me was how you described your first three books, Abundance, Bold, and The Future is Faster Than You Think. You described them as the exponential mindset trilogy. Yeah. So in, in what ways do they tell different parts of the same kind of overarching narrative?
1: Sure. So abundance um, was a realization that came out of the early days of Singularity University. Um, and it was the idea that technology is a force that takes whatever was scarce and makes it abundant over and over and over again. I'll give you a few examples, right? So we used to kill whales on the on the ocean to get whale oil uh, to light our nights, so Then we ravaged mountainsides to get coal. Then we drilled kilometers on the ocean floor. Uh, today, we're living in a world that is bathed in 8,000 times more energy from the sun than we consume as a species in a year. One hour of sunlight gets us all the energy that the human species needs for a year. It's incredible. Um, it's there. It's just not in a usable form. But that's what technology is doing. It's in the efficiency of solar cells and battery and other storage mechanisms. Now, we've got fusion coming. So we're heading towards a know a massive squanderable abundance of energy um you know what would you think of as more uh scarce uh than a perfect you know six seven eight ten carat diamond um and well it turns out that technology can make those perfect diamonds not a simulacrum actual diamonds without without perfect you know in absolutely perfect there's a company called the diamond foundry that a friend uh, runs that in one end of a machine comes methane, water, electricity, out the other end comes perfect diamonds. And so this is true for food, water, healthcare, education. All of these fields are, are going to become more abundant, meaning they'll be digitized, they'll be dematerialized, they'll be demonetized and democratized. So that was abundance. It's an ethos that we're truly uplifting society and have the ability to uplift society bold was a playbook uh it was written as a playbook for entrepreneurs like all these technologies are making you incredibly capable what do you want to do with it and thank you and um it was uh for me the best thing about it is i've I've had thousands of entrepreneurs and uh you know in person or emails or conversations say that the book inspired them and gave them a, a means to implement and a lot of it is helping people connect with their massive transformative purpose your mtp like why do you exist on the planet what are you here what's the impact you're going to have and then what are your moonshots what do you want to do with your your intellect uh, your capital your mindset your relationships Um, it's like, it's great to wake up in the morning and have a a passion and a purpose that is, makes your future bigger than your past. Right. I think that's one of the most important things, especially in my, my conversations around age reversal. Um, and then the future is faster than you think it was just like, holy shit, it's moving fast. We're seeing an acceleration of the rate of acceleration and, um, In that story, I look at in the book, i look at ten industries and how they're going to be reinvented. Um, My favorite industry that is broken needs to be reinvented is like insurance. Like, you know, fire insurance pays you after your house burns down, right? Life insurance pays your next of kin after you're dead. Uh, Health insurance pays after uh, you've gotten ill. So let's flip those models to having insurance actually prevent those. Uh, maladies from occurring in the first place. So that's a lot of some of the things I'm I'm working on now.
0: Yes, and so we're also gonna put those links um, to the books in all of the social media uh, feeds, but uh, also the the link to the Abundance 360 community because uh, I, as I mentioned, being a part of that in 2020 really helped me and we have an opportunity to actually talk to some of the people like the guys that founded uh, Lemonade, which is is a very innovative um, innovative company, in and whole health, kind yeah. of yeah paradigm shift in, in how to approach you know risk mit- mitigation. Uh, but for those who aren't as familiar with these terms, um, maybe we can personalize it. Uh, sure. If you could share with the audience what your MTP, uh, your massively transformative yeah. purpose, and, and your, your moonshot?
1: Sure. So, uh, first of all, in a massive transformative purpose is something that can be all-consuming, uh, and it really needs to be something that you own and that you're proud of and that you share with your family and friends and people know who you are. Uh, And it doesn't have to be for your entire life, but it should be something that you're going to stick with for some period of time. And so my current MTP is to inspire and guide entrepreneurs to create a hopeful, compelling and abundant future uh, for humanity. So I get my kicks out of helping entrepreneurs uh, and really saying, you know, you can go 10 times bigger than you are, uh, that, you know, what you're doing is extraordinary, but helping them see how they can create hope which I think humans uh, fundamentally need. uh, A compelling future, so people see their future bigger than their past. And uh, and finally, uh, an abundant future, wherein people are are seeing a bigger opportunity for themselves. And so, um, you know, my moonshots have been multiple, and uh, I typically am working on one or two for periods of time. My first moonshot was opening up private spaceflight, uh, and did that with the Ansari X Prize um, and our ten million dollar competition there. And then, which, uh, just
0: to interrupt for a second, not your book, but another one. This is the story of it, which uh, it's uh, Julian Guthrie's "How to Make a Spaceship." It's kind of as close to a biography of Peter as, as you can get, but it also kind of tells the behind. The I stories. was so proud of that
1: book, Julian.
0: Yeah, it's
1: really great. Uh, did, a, did a beautiful job. Um, and tells behind the behind-the-scenes story of this epic eight-year journey uh, to fund a, a this crazy ten-million-dollar prize and and the multiple pitfalls and actually having it won and launching the space industry. Anyway, um, uh, you know my moonshots today um, focused very much on age reversal, uh, and it's you know can I bring to bear the resources and the capabilities to help reverse the human age 20 years. Now, my first and foremost is I want to add 20 or 30 healthy years on your life. But in addition to that, can we get you from 80 to 60 or 60 to 40, right? Um, And that is uh, a conversation for the first time ever is sanely being had. um, And people are beginning to get excited about that. And it's huge. Interesting, a study done out of Oxford and London School of Business, I think Harvard as well, was uh, said for every single year of life, healthy life added to the global economy is worth $38 trillion. So, um, you know, I think adding healthy life, the healthy years to people's lives globally, uplifts society. Um, And so anyway, that for me is, is super exciting.
0: So uh, we're gonna to get two questions. I can see them piling up and, um, and we are going to get to them, but I have just a couple of more. Some that I think that would be helpful uh, in terms of explaining some of these concepts. Sure. Um, the, in the Abundance 360 community and in your books, you, you talk about emerging technologies that demonetize, dematerialize, and Democratize, and I have yes. to admit I still sometimes struggle with with those concepts. And so maybe some examples for the uninitiated.
1: Yeah, happily. So whenever you digitize something, uh, the story uh, goes back to um, uh, the circa 1996 when a guy named Steven Sassan at Kodak Labs uh, came up with the first digital camera. And uh, the first digital camera didn't use film, uh, didn't use film development. It basically was a early version of the cameras we have today. But this one took 0.01 megapixel images. And the images were recorded on a tape drive. Uh, When he showed this to the board of Kodak, they said, you're crazy. That's a toy for kids. We make beautiful high-resolution images. And they ignored... um, the digital camera concept. They had the first uh, mover advantage, the patents, everything. And Kodak basically did not develop the technology. Uh, it eventually was developed and you know, some 20 plus years later drove them into bankruptcy um, when the digital camera you know, basically got rid of, of most of all film and, and film cameras. So when you digitize something, you dematerialize it. So on my cell phone, I don't have a physical camera. I have a dematerialized camera. I also have a dematerialized GPS and video camera and books and everything. Anything becomes ones and zeros becomes dematerialized. Um, And when you do that, the cost of replicating something or transmitting something that's ones and zeros is effectively zero. So it's demonetized. And once it's demonetized, it's available to everyone on the planet with a, a smart device, and then it's democratized. So we have, you know, as many handsets as humans on the planet today. Uh, and you know, a child in the middle of Tanzania on, with a with a feature phone or a smartphone has access to all the world's knowledge. You know, more than the president of a country did 30 years ago, maybe even 20 years ago. Um, and access to huge amount of educational content and health content. So it really is what I, you know, when I talk about the rising billion, it's the the billion plus individuals being empowered by these technologies and ultimately making the world a much safer place and a much better place.
0: And is it the the scale of the democratized market that makes up for let's say whatever, um, yeah, that's, yeah. that's, I think maybe where I was getting. Tri- yeah. From.
1: So, you know, when you demonetize something, uh, for sure, um, you're, what you're effectively doing is you're killing the revenues on that product. Uh, what makes up for it are two factors. The smaller factor is the democratization. The bigger factor is business models it's reinventing the business models that are now enabled on top of that very low cost. So, um, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, if you can take what you've built as an entrepreneur and turn it into a platform where other folks can make money on top of what you're doing, for me, that's one of the most powerful things you can do. Um, You know, the, the number of of companies that are built on top of digital photography for photo sharing apps or whatever the case might be are massive, much larger than the original market for printing um, film. The challenge becomes that the company that's being disrupted uh, Mm -hmm. rarely is the company that sees the promised land because they're too stuck focused on what they're losing versus on what's now possible.
0: All right, we're not going to get a chance to cover all of the the many um, technologies and very exciting companies that you talked about, particularly in the future is faster than you think, but I did want to talk about one because at our most recent gala, we used uh, a flying Tesla as a narrative vehicle to give our guests a tour of all the things that the Atlas Society was doing, and we chose it kind of tongue-in-cheek in part because... Our honoree last year, Peter Thiel, had nine years ago, nine years ago, famously complained, "You know, we wanted flying cars; instead, we got 140 characters." But in the future, is faster than you think. You actually use the uh, the case of flying cars to illustrate a point about how converging technologies um, are leading to new breakthroughs. So. I'd love for you to share a little yeah. bit about what's going on there.
1: So, uh, I and I opened the story with that with a, a conference I was keynoting uh, here in L.A. Uh, for it was called Uber Elevate. This was Uber's flying car division that a friend of mine was running, and so it used to be. So, when I talk about exponential technologies, what I'm talking about is massive increase in computation uh sensors networks ai robotics 3d printing synthetic biology augmented virtual reality blockchain you know you can go into nanotechnology and quantum computers and other but it's a list of technologies that as the amount of computer power is increasing the power of these technologies are increasing as well and it used to be that you could be an expert in any one or two of those and that was enough to differentiate you as an entrepreneur or as a company But that's not the case anymore. Today, what the real action is, is the convergence of two, three, four, or more of these coming together. And as these technologies are coming together, they're enabling brand new business models. And so the eVTOL stands for electric vertical takeoff or landing um, vehicles, uh, also known as flying cars. are a beautiful example of these converging technologies. What's converging in material sciences that make them uh, lighter, Uh, the what's called the direct electric propulsion DEP, which is um, the electric motors making these possible. Again, that's material science, that's also sensors. It's also the AI for controlling these multi-copters so that you're stable. And if something goes wrong, you have lots of graceful abort opportunities Uh, You've got GPS, of course, you've got uh, high bandwidth network communications, and all of these things coming together create these new business models. And the business model here is rather than owning a flying car, it's a Uberized version where it's on demand. So uh, Jag, I live in Santa Monica. Uh, You're in Malibu?
0: I am. I could be there in five minutes if I had a flying car.
1: <laughs> yeah, and that's the and that's the thing, right? So we had the last couple of events at Calamigos, uh, right? uh, also known as Malibu Cafe. I love, love, love that place. Uh, Garrett Gerson, who owns it, it's a, a dear friend. And when I go there for the weekend, it'll take me sometimes uh, 45 minutes to an hour to get there. But if there's something on the, on the PCH that hits, traffic can be dead and you're stuck. And, yeah. and you've been there, done that, right? And so, but I'm a pilot. When I fly out of Santa Monica, I'm like you said, I'm over Calamigos or over Malibu in five minutes. And so all of a sudden, um, what's interesting is that these flying cars are going to reinvent, uh, business models and markets. So the old adage, you know, location, 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 if all of a sudden, uh, Calamigos or or Topanga, or Malibu is five minutes away, and not 45 minutes or an hour away, it changes my desirability, and and therefore the relevant, you know, real estate value. All
0: right, we are going to get to uh, these questions. But I just had to ask you a couple, uh, a couple more. um, Because as a writer, someone who, uh, I guess my massively transformative purpose would be to, um, to spread the message of of course, the great writer, Ayn Rand, and her characters and her, uh, her, her stories and, and their themes. Um, you, in your uh, book, dedicate, this last book, uh, you dedicate it to all those who have mentored and coached me during um, my life. And um, when we did your Draw My Life video, and we encapsulated your life story down into three minutes. I was just uh, really touched by um, the relationship that you had with your parents, which is clearly uh, a very close one, but also there were some, uh, you know, divergences, I guess, because, you know, what you wanted to do and there was just you know no no stopping you and what what your parents wanted you to do i did i do think you came to a uh, an interesting and probably very productive compromise <laughs> but uh, you you did you dedicate the monumenters you dedicate it to your parents so yeah what
1: uh, i mean i grew up uh, my parents were both immigrants from from greece from the island of lesbos and um, i grew up in a family where it was expected I'd become a doctor because my father was an Joy and a physician. My mom could have been; she ran his office. And I was enamored by space. It was Apollo and that scientific documentary called Star Trek that you know showed me where the future was going. And that was everything for me. And uh, at, during the day, in conversation with my parents or when I was in school, I was going to be a doctor. But at night, my own secret desires, I was. Gonna Go into space and um and so you know uh, many years ago i wrote uh something called peter's laws that you've seen and uh, one of them was given a choice take both and, and so i pursued both of those as um as uh, my my desires and focused on space for 30 years have come back to medicine obviously through my investments in the companies i'm building in, in longevity and healthcare. But yeah, no, there are a lot of incredible people who have mentored me. From, you know, I include Ayn Rand as a mentor in, in her, her writings. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, just a list of men and women who uh, helped shape the way I think. And, and it really was important for me to realize the gifts I got from each of them.
0: Well, uh, this audience in particular would, for, for those who didn't go to the gala, Um, or watch it on online. Uh, Maybe you just share, because it's a really interesting story how you got introduced to Ayn Rand and and, uh, the the role that the book played. Yeah, particularly on on, um, the the first flight.
1: Yeah, so I was, um, uh, when I was at MIT as an undergrad, I started a space organization called uh, Students for the Exploration and Development of Space, SEDS. Uh, A few years later, Jeff Bezos would become uh, the president of the Princeton chapter, which is how I I met him. And um, uh, I was hanging out with a group of friends in D.C. uh, And I had one friend, Morris Hornick, come up to me and said, I have a very important book you have to read. And I was like, OK. And he said, "Um, but you can't read it yet. You have to read another book by the same author first. So uh, he had me read Fountainhead first, and which I immensely enjoyed, and then he had me read Atlas Shrugged. And Atlas Shrugged became sort of my touchstone, which I would read every couple of years just to reground myself and refocus myself. And I probably read it, I don't know, six or seven times over the years. And um, when it came time for the original Ansari Prize for spaceflight, which was Occurred in 2004, uh, Bert Rutan had built this ship and was vying for the 10 million dollar prize. We had uh, Bert very kindly uh, allowed myself and the X Prize to put some ballast weight on the ship to go into space. And so the question is, what was I going to put on on Spaceship uh, Spaceship One on this on this historic um, trip and I ended up putting uh, two books. Uh, one book was uh, *The Spirit of St. Louis*, which was Lindbergh's autobiography. That was the, you know, causative, uh, you know, drive. Actually, actually, three books. I'm sorry. Uh, *The Spirit of St. Louis* by Lindbergh. The second one was one of my favorite science fiction authors, uh, and it was *The Man Who Sold the Moon* by Robert Heinlein. Yes, and then, I mean. the, and then the third was uh, was Atlas Shrugged by Ayn Rand. And uh, those were my way of saying what was important to me.
0: All right. Well, we'll take a few questions now. Um, uh, James the Archon on Instagram is asking about, do you think we'll have a colony on the moon, if not Mars by 2050 any thoughts that you have about yeah. the futures of uh, space colonization?
1: So first and foremost, I put the, um, the probability high, but not from government efforts. I think it is going to be uh, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos and private entrepreneurs who are going to enable this. Uh, I don't think governments have the risk appetite uh, or congressional funding bodies have the budget appetite. Uh, Starship, which is under development right now, um, is an extraordinary vehicle. Um, like I said, I've known Elon for 22, 23 years, and it is his MTP to make humanity multi-planetary species. And he will spend every dollar he has to make that happen. Uh, so Starship is, uh, hopefully be operational within the next year. And I can imagine it landing on the moon in the next two to three years, um, Uh, it's not once it's in orbit, the ability for it to go and and do a lunar landing mission is not that much more difficult. So his original goals were 2024. Maybe that's optimistic. Maybe it's 25 or 26. Uh, But uh, that vehicle is able to bring a sizable down mass with it, including people and return. So um, it's the, going to be the workhorse. It's going to be the you know equivalent of the uh, Nina Pinta and Santa Maria, uh, and then uh, you know Mars not, again not too far behind that. Can we see it by uh, 2050? A thousand percent by 2040, most probably 2035. I hope so.
0: All right okay uh anna wakeman on facebook is asking what do you think is the biggest obstacle to the anti-aging movement
1: so i think the biggest obstacle is people not believing it's possible having a stigma associated with it i mean clearly anti-aging and i don't like the term anti-aging uh more age reversal or longevity but uh, you know, it pokes a stick into uh, a lot of challenges, the institution uh, of retirement, institution of marriage, institution of religions. Um, you know, if till death do us part means 100 years, it's going to be <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a challenge for sure.
0: Yeah, well, I wonder what how will we'll disrupt. Uh, we'll have to maybe go back to a, a Heinlein model.
1: Um, yes, I have a good one.
0: <laughs> uh okay let's see um Aurelian GT on Instagram asks technology is advancing yes doesn't it seem like we're entering a post scarcity era where government policies have made it harder for goods to get to people so sure i understand oh, that I mean, so but,
1: let's see post scarcity means you know is is abundance it's like things are no longer scarce and we have to realize how incredible the world is that we can get you know ripe fruits any time of the year almost any place on the planet um you know government i i think anytime there's a problem uh i don't care if it's if it's uh a government problem or societal or you know, this is where entrepreneurs come in and solve problems. You know, I define an entrepreneur as a person, a guy or gal who finds a juicy problem and solves it. And and so I think I don't I don't know of that many challenges which cannot eventually be overcome. Um, you know, the end, uh, sort of the end extension of abundance. There's a, a great book by a guy named Jeremy Rifkin called Zero Marginal Society. Uh, and at in the final result i don't know if this is 25 years from now or 50 years from now but it's in that time horizon i have a nanobot i have a molecular robot that is able to rearrange atoms and i have it in my hand i let it borrow some atoms from my my skin and i make a few copies i give uh i give jag here a a, a nanobot and, and a few to give to her friends and then, if you want something, um, you drop it in the soil, and you say, "Can you make me an electric, uh, you know, Ferrari or something?" And it gets the designs uh, from the you know the web, a, a open source copy. It might ask you for a kilogram of of titanium or magnesium or whatever it needs. Uh, but this is the realization that everything is made of atoms, and it's the at the end of the day, the cost of something is the raw materials, the information, and the, and the energy for assembling it. So I mean, that's the end extreme of, of abundance. In the interim, we've got politics, we've got challenges, we've got things to solve.
0: OK, another question. Is the singularity near?
1: Mm. So Ray Kurzweil and, and maybe
0: a, what it is just for yeah. You know,
1: yeah yeah Ray Kurzweil who is a uh, a dear friend I see him as a, a mentor of mine we co-founded Singularity University so you don't have yeah here it is his his book is right up over here the singularity is near uh, it came out in two thousand and six and it was the book that inspired me to reach out to Ray to create Singularity University and the singularity, the concept of the singularity borrows the terminology from uh uh from physics and um and it's the notion that the speed of innovation is accelerating and constantly accelerating and our ability to see what's next is going to become harder and harder and harder until we reach this effective event horizon where the speed is so fast That it is impossible to predict what comes next. And uh, the prediction is that the singularity will occur in the 2040s, right? 20 odd years from now. And um, I don't know about you, but I can feel the speed at which things are moving, right? Where the amount of capital flowing into the global economy is massive. We've had more ipos and more unicorns and more venture you know this year than twice what it was last year Um, and and uh, the cost of tech is dropping precipitously so it really is accelerating so i do i do believe that we will hit something like the singularity um the implications of it are interesting uh and Is it gonna change anything I do or you do? I don't think so. Um, But we need to appreciate the extraordinary world we're in compared to like uh, bitching about it all the time. But anyway.
0: I completely agree with that. Um, But at the same time, do you have some concerns uh, when you're talking about these positive trends of technology getting cheaper, of uh, these huge capital inflows into um, investing in these new ventures. And you cover in your book some of, you know, the possible global existential threats uh, to accelerated exponential change. Uh, Do you worry at all about um, other, you know, kinds of maybe policy threats uh, when, you know, we hear from some kind of um extreme politicians we need to have a wealth tax that uh, you know it's, it's greed and it's people making too much money I, I mean all of the people that you talk about in your book aren't uh, necessarily like Elon Musk is an example I mean he's um he's not taking his money and you know floating around the, the world in a yacht he's he's pouring his his capital back into these yep. um, Breakers, yeah, yeah. So- so do you, do you, uh, I mean, so, yeah, so
1: listen, I, I, uh, there's no course. question, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm human and I have my own set of like, holy shit, where'd that come from, right? Whether it's what's going on with Putin and Ukraine, uh, or, um, uh, just, you know, sort of, uh, political, um, manipulation of society. Uh, you know, I'm, I describe myself as a libertarian capitalist, right? Which is, You know, I think the best way to make, you know, to create wealth is by making the world a better place. And the process is up, you know, uplifting everybody. Um, uh, Do I, you know, am I concerned about, you know, nuclear weapons that we have? Of course, am I concerned about AI? Not as much as others are. I think AI is one of the most important tools we're gonna have uh, for solving the world's problems. Am I concerned about it to some degree? Sure. You know, is there going to be uh, a toddler phase in AI where it doesn't know how strong it is and and it screws up? Um, Perhaps. Uh, You know, when I think about contextualizing the world, uh, I think about it the following. I I, I say, you know, between 1900 and today, uh, I think very few people wouldn't Say that the world has gotten substantially better over the last 120 years. Uh, massive reduction in global poverty, increasing access to food, water, water, energy, healthcare, education. All of these things, right? Um, but still, over that period of time, you know, we had World War One and World War II and the Spanish Flu, and the Vietnam War, and uh, you know, 50 to 100 million people needlessly dying from that. But yet. We've had this massive, you know, these perturbations, but it's been up and to the right. Uh, You know, hopefully we don't uh, screw ourselves in the process, but I think our ability to become a multi-planet species, our ability to uh, deliver abundant, clean food, water, energy, healthcare, education, um, and respect the planet. I think all of these things are achievable um and you know i come back to it's really the uh the john galt figures it's the individual uh who uh, has the ability to enable that make that happen
0: so um and you have taken an active role in trying to encourage individuals to make that happen to come up with uh, competitive ideas through the X Prize, we talked a little bit about the Ansari X Prize, mm-hmm. and again, I encourage people to watch the, the "Draw My Life" uh, video that we did um, because it was uh, it was a moonshot, and it was also though a tale of of perseverance. When when you you see the story of how many no's he had to endure, <laughs> to yes. Um, But uh, tell us a little bit more about some of the other X prizes. Uh, What are some of the current funded prizes that have you most excited? What are some of the challenges you're thinking about tackling in the future?
1: Love it, happy to. Um, So some of the active prizes right now, we have a prize called Feeding the Next Billion. We're asking teams to create uh, at scale uh, fish and chicken, from either stem cells. So these are cellular agriculture or plant-based. And this is a competition that is really about hitting not only um, uh, cost and production figures, but where it has to actually taste better than the original product. So, you know, as we're creating abundance on the planet, more people are getting wealth, they're, they're desiring a much higher level of, of higher protein. And we can't continue to just grow more pigs and, and cows and, and chickens or demolish the oceans, which we've, you know, we've, we've you know, gotten rid of 90% of the large fish out there. Uh, so we need a better way to do it. And so reinventing how we produce food, uh, I think is, is very real. And I think we can make food products that are healthier, uh, taste better and are lower cost. Uh, we don't need to give up on, on those. So that's going on. Um, We have uh, uh, an XPRIZE active right now called the Avatar XPRIZE. And this is uh, building a robotic avatar uh, that, uh, you know, if I have my robotic avatar there in your living room, Jag, uh, I can uh, beam into it and I feel like I'm there. I can reach out and and shake your hand or give you a hug uh, and you feel like I'm there. uh, And it's sort of... uh, as a user, I'm putting on a VR helmet and a haptic suit and I'm delocalizing localizing myself, if you would. Uh, so that's ongoing. Um, some of the prizes <clears throat> working on uh, right now, I mentioned this uh, $101 million prize for age reversal. So last year, so um, one of the active prizes right now we just launched is a $100 million prize that Elon funded uh, for gigaton carbon removal, asking teams to basically uh, demonstrate at the at the multi-megaton level tech that can extract carbon. And we're open to all different models, direct air capture, mineralization, uh, ocean, whatever it might be, uh, but it has to be scalable to the gigaton level. And so we have uh, 1,200 teams competing for that. Um, about... Uh, a year ago or so i started a conversation with another atlas society award winner uh, who you know and love well chip wilson and uh and chip uh is the anchor funder of our next prize which is a 101 million dollar uh, age reversal x prize and so he wanted it to be bigger than elon's 100 million dollar prize so <laughs> yeah I was, I was so
0: it's what
1: 101 yeah, so he's kicked in half of the money and I'm raising the other half right now. Um, and, uh, you know, super excited about, about that. Working on a wildfire detection and extinction prize. Oh, uh, uh, a prize to detect a wildfire at the moment of ignition and put it out within 10 minutes, right? While avoiding a barbecue grill or, you know, a Boy Scout, Girl Scout campfire. Uh, and then another prize working on is a uh, coral reef restoration prize because it's a mess out there. So those are some of the prizes. Um, have some other big, bold, crazy prizes I'm excited about. Uh, but it's like you know, I like to think of it as the uh, Newman Marcus catalog for billionaires. Mm-hmm. You know, we, what are the biggest problems that need solving, and can we inspire people to uh, pursue them?
0: Well, as someone who lives amid the, uh, the, the mountains of Malibu and uh, whose house burned down because of one of these fires. And mm. uh, once again, you know, the government solutions are not going to, at least here, uh, are, are not gonna save your house. So I'd, I'll be watching that that prize very keenly. What, what about energy? You know, um, I mean, there's kind of the, the carbon capture, but um, John Galt's perpetual. So then... you
1: have no idea how prophetic your question is. Uh, <laughs> so um, uh, I'll, I'll mention this, uh, but everyone has to keep it secret. Okay. Uh, <laughs> this is
0: not being watched by you know, anybody. All right,
1: so it turns out back in the 1980s, there was a very famous set of experiments called the uh, Fleischmann and Pons experiments for for zero point energy or cold fusion. And it was the front page in the New York Times and the price of palladium skyrocketed and it was low energy nuclear reactions uh, were another way of saying it. And when the experiments by uh, uh, Fleischmann and Pons were not replicated, they were discredited And uh, no one pursued it, no one followed it, because there was this uh, stigma associated with low energy nuclear reactions. Well, um, it was picked up by a a group and funded, the research was funded within Google, inspired by a particular group of of Googlers, I'm not sure I'm at liberty to say who, and they published in Nature magazine a series of articles basically saying, actually, we think there this is very viable and there's a there there to be had. Uh, and what's going on is there is a government program to begin funding that research. And we're in very serious considerations right now with another group about a very large uh, for lack of a better term, cold fusion X-Prize. And this would be the closest thing (laughs) to John Galt's uh, energy machine. Uh, But imagine being able to extract uh, an almost unlimited amount of energy from the ether of space.
0: That would be a game changer in so many ways, um, environmentally, politically, uh, economically, so we will be we will be watching well we're uh just about coming up to the top. I had many more questions, um but really you know it's it's endless so I, I really want to recommend that everybody um, check out Peter's books check out abundance three sixty um, Peter, any final thoughts of of things that are on your mind that we didn't get to I oh,
1: don't know i just I think I want people to have a sense of absolute excitement about the world we're living in that this is the most extraordinary time ever to be alive the most the only time more exciting than today is maybe tomorrow yes. um and you know we we tend to uh to idealize uh the past uh and you know if you were going to trade life with the billionaires the robber barons 100 years ago it would suck you know i mean despite the wealth you had you know the things we take for granted today are would be miraculous uh, for them. And so in a world in which you have access to all of the computational power, all the knowledge, access to experts globally with the click of a mouse, uh, access to more capital than ever before, the question is, what do you want to do with it? What do you want to do with your life? What is it that would inspire you uh, and would make the world a better place? And I think... At the end of the day, that's the most important message I can I can deliver. You can you can make a dent in the universe, and uh, and we all should.
0: I think that's such an important message. Um, particularly, you see so many people who are pessimistic and uh, feel that things are on the wrong track. And not to minimize things that are not going well, um, I always like to say that to be objective, one must have perspective. And I think that means to also take into account all the good things that we have going for us and the trends for better yet to come. So thank you, Peter.
1: My pleasure, Jag. Good to to see you. And uh, looking forward to more conversations with you and and, uh, the society.
0: Excellent. All right. I will be following up with you. Thank you.